Our next speaker is Mr. Mick Wallace. Madness. madness. This is madness. We cannot fix a problem caused by capitalism with more capitalism. They hurt the people. I ended up at the end of a gun. On three occasions. I don't well to survive anyway. Madame Daly will speak. A union which allows fiscal rules to be broken for arms expenditure, not for housing or to put roofs over the heads of people. This is evidence of police violence. Whether you're an economic migrant or you're an asylum seeker, nobody deserves to be treated like this. And even having the neck to suggest separating people from their mothers. How dare you? They don't need us to kick them around the place. You could say it so much. Please, in riot gear with Trump. I am ashamed to call myself a European. of Guaido. Elected gobshite is an absolute embarrassment. Now, you did use the word gobshite, and, so uh, I would re- reprimand you over that. Hello, and welcome back to I for Z Trouble. This week, it's with Daly, Wallace and Quinn. <gasps> Standing Poor in for Damien. <laughs> Remember, the ago, Mighty Queen. The Mighty Queen. There was a song called The Mighty Queen. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure she knows it. Football player. A gal player. It came out around the same time that Meath had a great uh, Gaelic football team and they won the Ireland a couple of times. The Mighty Queen. Yeah, The yeah. Mighty Queen. Anyway. I've got a t-shirt. You ain't seen nothing like The Mighty Queen. Yeah, you ain't seen yeah. nothing yeah. like now, The now Mighty Queen. Come on, now Queen. you're really rubbing it in. Well, you know poor Damien, who's on his way to COP26 in Glasgow, is... Really out of sorts that Kira has stolen his place, but we're we're happy enough anyway. We'll soldier on without him. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, on this week on the podcast, <laughs> we're going to be talking about the Julian Assange trial, which Mick and Claire have just come back from London, um, and Claire is going to fill us in on what's been happening there. Yeah, I mean, look, at, we only got back late last night, and in some ways, it's quite emotionally draining to sit through. Two days of intense testimony, which really centred around the medical evidence and the assurances, inverted commas, given by the United States that if Julian was extradited there, that he'd be grand. He'd be kept in places that were not solitary confinement and that it wouldn't be a problem. Now, of course, the whole background to this is that the district court judge in February whatever year that was now, February, what year was that, Mick? February 2020, last year, uh, heard the case for extradition by the US. And thanks to the extradition treaty, which was negotiated by Blair with Bush after 9-11, and basically took out the political exemption. So normally, if there's fear of political persecution, requesting states don't get to extradite somebody if there's a fear that it's a political persecution, prosecution. Uh, In this case, uh, the UK did a new treaty with the US, supposedly in the war on terror, and that basically anybody could be extradited to the US because they accepted US assurances that it was a quid pro quo uh, regime which accepted human rights and so on, which obviously anybody who knows anything about the US prison system and the numbers of people incarcerated and the terrible conditions in high security prisons in particular knows that that's absolutely nonsense. But in any case, because the political arguments were dismissed, the judge ruled against the extradition. So the district court judge didn't allow the Americans to extradite Julian on the strict grounds that she was worried about his mental health, uh, the possibility that he would commit suicide because of his mental health problems and the evidence that he had heard and because of the conditions that he was going to in US prisons. So the debate now, which is a bit sad in some ways, so we listened to two days in court which couldn't deal with the fact 
that the main witness in the case against Julian has been established as a convicted paedophile and guaranteed liar, that he gave false testimony to the FBI to convict Julian. That's been proven. That the Spanish surveillance team, which spied on his communications in the embassy, including with his legal team, has been demonstrated to be accurate. We know that Mike Pompeo and the tops of the US establishment plotted to kidnap and kill Julian, but none of that can be factored in. We're only dealing with the grounds in which the district court judge refused the extradition and the US are trying to get that overturned, which is his health and the assurances. Um, It probably should be mentioned, though, that... um uh, yesterday, uh, you, you had all day Wednesday was prosecution, except for the last half hour. All day Thursday was defence, except for the last half hour where prosecution were allowed back in. But in relation to the points you raised there, Claire, uh, it should be said that the the senior counsel yesterday afternoon, um, who was Mark Summers, he didn't play strongly on the fight that uh, I mean about the fact that there was a that there was a plot mm. to kill or assassinate Assange which Pompeo has more or less confirmed he's refused to refute it and uh, uh, it, all the body language was that he he, he was uh, accepting the fact that yeah yeah that, that they had tried it and, and that was brought up in the court even though uh, Everything was supposed to be all about the the uh, the issue of whether uh, Julian was a suicide risk or not, and I suppose I mean the majority of the two days was uh, discussing. I I I felt that the uh, the the new assurances that the Americans were given uh, kind of dominated uh, the two days. So what you had was. Um, the Americans were now coming up with assurances that Assange uh, wouldn't have SAMs, they called it, imposed on him, which is special administrative measures, uh, or that he his attention wouldn't be in ADX, which is a maximum security prison. So, in other words, that uh, he was going to be treated well and that... Uh, <laughs> Uh, that he wouldn't have either SAMs or ADX imposed on him in any form. But... The, uh, the defence went out of their way to point out that you know you've had this, you had the opportunity to actually make that case before, and you just didn't, because obviously that they were sure of winning, and anyway they have no intention in the on the wide earthly world of treating them well, and uh, Summers also pointed out he named three different individuals, who have been extradited, to the US, two of them from the UK, one from Spain, and the more recent one was from Spain. Uh, where conditions agreed on the ex- uh, at point of extradition were not met by the Americans. For example, the Spanish guy, uh, Spain agreed to the extradition of an individual, uh, if I remember, Mendoza. his name was Mendoza, mm-hmm. and uh, on condition that if he was found guilty, that he would serve his sentence in Spain. And uh, did the Americans release him? No, they did not. Uh, so they broke the agreement. But listen... The Americans break international law every day. Uh, the, the idea that there would be any surprise that they would break uh, a, an agreement, whether it was diplomatic or otherwise, uh, around Julian Assange, uh, 
the dogs in the street know that he wouldn't be treated well over there. And uh, Summers also pointed out that on the law of averages in the US, Assange would wait between one and a half to two years in poor conditions before his trial would even start. Uh, so it was just emphasizing the fact that uh, the idea of sending Assange to the US is like killing him. Yeah, and I mean, I think, and in some ways it seems a bit mad that we're discussing these sort of medical issues and sort of assurances when the bigger picture that he's been prosecuted for blowing the whistle on US war crimes in Afghanistan and Iraq and the indictment against him very clearly shows that these are the counts which he is before the court. So why was the court discussing these details? Because the district court judge in February 2020, rejected all the political reasons, in fairness, as she only could, because such was the legacy of the extradition treaty negotiated between Blair and Bush. So she only refused on the narrow grounds that to send him to the US would jeopardise his mental health and lead to be a suicide risk. Now, mixed right, the Americans came in with these assurances. Now, the defence team then says, hang on a minute, now you're just trying to retrofit. You've lost the case, so you've come in at the 11th hour and said, oh, don't be worrying about that. All those horrible conditions that the evidence before the courts dealt with, they won't happen in his case. Now, these horrible conditions, let's be clear, are 23-hour isolation. About 5% of the US prison population are in these secure housing units within uh, other prisons. So they're isolation units. They've very limited contact with others. Um, and they were trying to paint a picture that that wasn't so and that Julian wouldn't be subjected to them because this was a diplomatic assurance. Now, as Julian's dad said at the protest the first day, like, sorry now, but these are the people who told us there were weapons of mass destruction in Iraq uh, leading to the deaths of over a million people when there wasn't. So what assurances could we really um, respect? Fair point, I thought, like, you know. But in any case, I think the legal people did and the judgments Mick was talking about, you have to look at the wording of the, assur of the assurance and the assurance leaves an out. Like it said, oh, he might be able to mix with other people if it was safe enough or whatever. That You have to look at the wording because what the courts think is an assurance, actually they rely on the wording and that and it isn't really an assurance at all, like, you know. Yeah, and I think people... Uh, you might you might be surprised to hear uh, some of the statistics on U.S. prisons. Uh, America uh, has five percent of the world's population, just under five percent. It has twenty five percent of the world's prisoners. Uh, there's at the last count, it was over two point three million people in prison in America. It's mostly privatized, and you have a huge lobby industry. Uh, wearing out the carpets in Washington, advocating for stricter rules so that people are kept in prison longer. And while I, I remember um, this issue came up on an interview I was doing on News Talk uh, about two months ago, and the, the interviewer said to me, ah, but everyone in America gets a fair trial. Well, for the record, 90% of the people in America who are in prison never got a trial. You might say, well, how in God's name did that happen in a so-called democ demo democratic country? But in actual fact, the way they have it staged that uh, everyone, well, nine out of ten, take the plea bargaining route where they say, listen, 
you're, you're, you're not going to get out of this. Uh, would you rather have 10 years or five? Uh, if you plead guilty, you're going to get five. If you fight the case, you're guaranteed 10. And 90% of the inmates of US prisons uh, have gone down the route of plea bargaining. So 90% have got no fair trial. Yeah, and I thought one of the most disingenuous things from the prosecution side was they tried to say, sure, look, if he gets sent to America and when the case is heard, sure, he mightn't even get convicted at all. I mean, look at this now. And they were trying to downplay Chelsea Manning's sentence. And obviously Chelsea Manning was held in dreadful conditions, had got a 35-year sentence, had attempted suicide a couple of times and really had a very hard time. But they were saying, oh, no, 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 that was different because she was court-martialed. She was, she was the one who stole the information. This fella should be grand nearly. If he just pleads the First Amendment, sure, he might not even get a sentence at all. It might be time served and sure he can go back to Australia. Completely and utterly untrue. The US plotted to kidnap and kill him. They're not going to just allow him to go to court and go, do you know what? I know you were right all along. Freedom of speech, freedom of the press. Go on ahead now. Goodbye. Like that is just absolutely not going to happen. And what has happened to the likes of Daniel Hale and others who they brought in and said, Asher, Daniel Hale only got four years. This was the whistleblower who had been involved and exposed a lot of what went on in the drone killings and so on. Uh, an air serviceman and so on. That these people have been targeted by the courts. They've got severe sentences. They've been held in solitary uh, appalling conditions for just telling the truth because we have to remind people and we should say we had a really good meeting in the new theatre in Temple Bar on Saturday with our good friends Dennis Halliday, ex-UN official and Padder King, uh, documentary maker uh, about Julian's case and its importance and it was a, a really good meeting in saying that what is on trial here is journalism and we have a lot of problems with the way in which journalism is done now. There's very few decent journalists out there. They're, the gutter press is alive and well because the mainstream media isn't investing in real journalism. But this was real journalism. Julian is a member of all the um, uh, journalistic organisations. And what impressed us when we got to London was we'd only got off the train and what met us on the way out was a big first they came for Assange poster sponsored by all the journalistic trade unions and so on. Then we walked around the corner and there was an old church building and there was a big meeting going on. Thank you, WikiLeaks. And then there was good actions outside the courts. We're delighted that our colleagues in the Dáil and the Free Assange campaign in Ireland were outside the Dáil on Wednesday, which is great because that wasn't like that when we were in the Dáil. Very few people were raising the case. Yeah, no, the narrative has, has slowly changed. And uh, I mean, I can remember uh, different debates uh, on RTE at home. And uh, uh, and if if you stood up for Julian, ah, but isn't he, isn't, isn't he a bit odd himself? This sort of nonsense, you know, mm. and uh, moving away from the actual principles uh, involved. But yeah, I mean, uh, there's little doubt, but uh, journalism uh, is in grave danger. Uh, the majority of mainstream media have sold out. Um, you have papers like the Irish Times and the Guardian who are only pale shadows of the former selves. Uh, they were what we would have regarded as being decent newspapers in the past. Uh, but they now, uh, uh, <coughs> for want of a better term, they've, they have taken on uh, the mantle of empire and uh, they don't, don't seem to have much problems in... Uh, accepting uh, what Empire does and doesn't do. Uh, I mean, and obviously, uh, as, 
away from the issue of Assange, I mean, a great example of it is uh, that they are so racist in their commentary on the anti-China rhetoric, anti-Russian rhetoric. It's bored. It's just a form of racism. And yet, and yet, we still don't see him challenging U.S. imperialism for all the destruction that it causes. Uh, I mean, it's really scary. Uh, so uh, there was never ever been a, a greater need for real journalism for 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 journalists that are not afraid to speak the truth. Uh, but sadly, they've become very very scarce. No, I think that's a really good point. And I mean, I suppose for us, we've been around this issue for so long, like from the time that we went to visit Julian in the embassy. Uh, we've known some of the people. We've had the honour of meeting Julian's dad on a whole number of occasions over the last number of years. And of course, he was there in the courts again. John Shipton, an incredible, incredible man. Um, and I suppose we've seen two examples this week of the power of real journalism. And one was obviously Julian's case, which is uh, important for all of us. Uh, but also, actually, today in the Schengen Scrutiny Group, we had the authors of an incredibly forensic investigation conducted under the auspices of Der Spiegel, the German media outlook, for a year and a half that critiqued and investigated the involvement of EU border guards in Croatia and Greece in massive fundamental rights violations and persecutions of migrants being carried out in secret, on the orders from the tops of the Croatian and Greek governments funded by EU money. And that's real journalism. That's real journalism. And what we have in Ireland while this is going on, while the Julian Assange trial is going on, while this revelations of EU money being funded to basically send people to their debts in the Aegean Sea funded by EU money, silence, and yet we have this big false debate drummed up by people in the media and politicians in Ireland who should know better about mixed commentary, about the motion that was before the parliament on Taiwan. And for me, it's been a revelation. I now understand how Hitler came to power, how hysteria and the lack of evidence-based and rational debate can lead otherwise so-called intelligence people into a position of mob rule. And I think we should mention that in the programme because it's utterly shocking, I think, this anti-China racism that is dominating now and nobody is calling it out. Yeah, and um, I, I think what they struggle to um, see themselves is the fact that uh, it is a form of racism and um, it's really pretty shocking. Uh, everyone says they're against racism, but yet uh, we, we they don't seem to have any problem with being racist against the Chinese. It might be a good moment just to fill in kind of some of the details on what's happened. So there's the European Parliament report. Yeah, and I mean, and I'll tell you what now, right? I'd like to know how many people uh, who <laughs> read that report uh, who have actually uh, criticised uh, the video that I made. Uh, I didn't get speaking time on it, so I made a video uh, outside the, the plenary. Uh, in the parliament in Strasbourg, and um, I mean, there's a huge reaction for it. No, it's 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 um, it's good that um, it's that the issue is getting um, oxygen yeah. and, and it's being discussed. Uh, but I mean, the vile, uh, even though I mean, I don't read much of uh, this nonsense, uh, but um, I believe that it was pretty base uh, madness stuff. Um, and but it, it really, as Claire said, 
it's it, it's a bit of a it's like closing down debate. You're not allowed to say these things, and I mean uh, we've already been uh, had some serious attacks from RT and the Irish Times around some of our, our foreign affairs stuff. I said, oh, you can't say that. You can't go to that space. You can't do this. You can't do that. We're There's an effort to actually silence us so that we're not allowed to have a voice on these issues because it doesn't agree with uh, the mantra of US imperialism. And that's what it is. That's what it is. And unfortunately, the media at home in Ireland today, RTE, the Irish Times and many others, have accepted that they'll defend US imperialism morning, noon and night. And if it means having to be racist against the Chinese, they're prepared to go there. Yeah, I mean, the backdrop is the European Parliament decided that they'd have a motion on EU-Taiwan relations. Yeah. Now, Taiwan is an island off the coast of China, population of about 28 million, 23, 28 million, something like that. Yeah. Very, very, um, you know, thriving economy and all the rest. But it's registered and officially recognised by the United Nations and all other international organisations as a province of China because it came from originally from China. Historically, I suppose there was dispute between Japan and China about who was the more dominant. But when Mao and the revolution took place in China, a lot of the establishment figures in Chinese society who were on the defeated side of the revolution were exiled to Taiwan. So they were kind of sent there to this tiny little island off the coast well, of China. They, a lot of them actually ran there, there, right? I mean, they, they were part of empire. They were, yeah. they were the, uh, the, the royalty, yeah. right? And uh, they went they there. And Mao decided, you know what? He left him there. Malay is there. I, uh, Taiwan is part of China, but we'll let this be there for the moment. Yeah, so they've kind of been a self-governing province since then. The international community recognises them as a part of China. They can do basically what they like. And actually, ironically, a huge section of Taiwanese society, including the establishment, don't want to proclaim independence. So it's not a traditional self because they believe that they're the true owners of China. So they don't want to say Taiwan is independent because they'll be forfeiting what they think is their right of ownership of the whole of China. So it's a, it's not a normal self-determination issue. But the gas thing for us is that, like when we were in the Dáil, I remember there was a big scandal because a couple of TDs went on a basic junket to Taiwan and the Taiwanese funded this and fair enough. And they were in the Dáil bar and basically they'd been at a gig in the embassy and they got a load of free presents and they were showing off the presents in the free bar and the word got into the press. Consternation. And I was on the business committee in the doll at the town and the Kian Corla went mad. And this is only like about 2018. The Kian Corla had just come back from China on a trip with our Chinese neighbours and went to the extent of writing to every single TD in the most vociferous terms to tell them that they had nothing to do with Taiwan, that the doll and the Irish state supported the one China policy and that Taiwan was not to be recognised and they had done serious damage by their relations with Taiwan. Now I remember myself and Mick at the time going, Jesus, he's lost the plot a bit. People should be free to go wherever they like and talk to whoever they like. We thought the Kian Corla had actually rather overreacted. In fact we were touted to go on a visit to Taiwan ourselves at the time which the Taiwanese would have paid up everything for it. We were open to it. It never happened uh, or anything like that. And how that situation which the Count Corla and the PQ answers from the Simon Coveney at the time reiterating that Ireland has a one China policy, which the whole EU has a one China policy. The whole world order says 
Taiwan is a part of, of China. But when Mick Wallace says it, we have people saying, TDs and senators saying, uh, Beijing's man in Brussels. We have them saying fake news. I mean, to me, fake news is the most disgusting. You know, it was invented by Donald Trump to shut down debate. Yeah. It's the Trump card. If you don't want to discuss a difference of opinion, and actually with Taiwan, it's not a difference of opinion because we're not saying whether Taiwan should be in it. We're just stating what the okay. factual reality is. And for the EU to behave in a way of sort of stirring up what's happening in that area is really unhelpful. And that's all that Mick was saying. He was actually arguing for peace. And it's really interesting that nobody commented on these other points about the Americans in their arm and the Taiwanese. Uh, the Americans are in breach of international law. They're training Taiwan forces in Taiwan for the last 12 months or more. It is completely in breach of international law. There's the only international body that uh, it's not perfect. It leaves a lot to be desired. But the UN Charter is our Bible on international law at the moment. It's not the rules-based order that the Americans make up and the Europeans. That is not international law. International law is the, is the UN Charter. And the UN Charter says that, that Taiwan is part of China. The UN, Taiwan do not have a seat at the UN. China does. And Taiwan is part of it. That's the fact. And it's unfortunate that people are prepared to overlook the truth, overlook international law to make their arguments. Now, I should point out, uh, I mean, just think about it, right? China is, at, at the debate last week, China was accused of being aggressive in the whole region, not just with Taiwan, right? Now, listen, there's American warships in the South China Sea. There's European warships in the South China Sea. There is no Chinese warships in the Gulf of Mexico or off the coast of America, east or west. Who is being aggressive? This is a China that hasn't dropped a bomb on anyone in 40 years. But the Americans are, with the support of the Europeans, are now stoking tensions with Taiwan. And you know what? It's possible that a war could develop or evolve from it. And, uh, but the, 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 people, the rhetoric uh, just from people at home this week, it's like as if they're almost, they don't have a problem with the idea that a war could come out of it from the, the rantings that, that, that they're engaging in. And people should remember that uh, a lot of the anti-Chinese sentiment uh, being cultivated by the central government of Taiwan at the moment is a big factor. And they have engaged in intensive lobbying and funding of Western think tanks. Uh, and in recent years, Taiwan have given millions of dollars to some of the biggest players among those who work to form consensus in Washington and Brussels and international media, uh, mainstream media. So, I mean, you wonder sometimes... Are the mainstream media in Ireland, actually, I don't know, but uh, are they getting paid by people having the likes of Taiwan? I mean, and some of the most powerful sectors of Taiwan society uh, are working with the US to make it more likely that the next step in this saga will be a violent one. 
And it's, it's all the more reason than ever to that we abide by the UN position on Taiwan as much as the UN Charter. In particular, we, we should respect Article 2.4 of the Charter, which states, all members shall refrain in their international relations from the threat or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of any state or in any other manner inconsistent with the purposes of the United Nations. Now, Obviously, given that America uh, encroaches on the sovereignty of different states every day of the year since the end of the Second World War and a good bit beforehand as well, but in particular since 1945, and uh, people are probably not really... Uh, it's almost as if international law is being put into the background and uh, and the Americans have been very happy to break international law, allow Israel to break international law for a long time. But what I see now, which is really worrying, is that the, I see the Europeans signing up to the same thing, especially around the area of sanctions. And, uh, I mean, I pointed out uh, today in a tweet that I actually quoted Simon Coveney from a question that was put to him about Taiwan in November 19, which is less than two years ago. And he said, Ireland, like all EU member states and the EU itself, adheres to the one-China policy and does not recognise Taiwan as a state. As such, for Irish citizens born in Taiwan, it is not possible to populate the country of birth information field on their Irish passport with wording other than that of Taiwan, province of China. This is the official designation used by the United Nations. Now, Simon Coveney, uh, the Minister for Foreign Affairs, that's his position, right? Uh, but... Nobody is actually even querying him on it, right? So in actual fact, myself and Simon, uh, you know, not often that we'd agree on things, right? But we actually agree on, on the actual international status of Taiwan in relation to China. Well, I think it's even not even a question of whether we agree or disagree. Both of you are just stating the factual position. Now, neither you nor I have actually said anything about what our preference is, because as far as I'm concerned, our preference has nothing got to do with it. In a case of real self-determination, the only thing that accounts is the views of the people in that situation, if you like. And this isn't a simple situation of a right to self-determination because a good chunk of the Taiwanese population come from the Chinese mainland, a whole number of the others because they have a claim to, they want think they're China, don't want Taiwanese independence. And I think it's highly ironic that we have Irish members of the Oireachtas who have stayed silent on the likes of Catalonia, where the people of Catalonia have voted for independence in Europe, part of our European Union. I mean, what the European Parliament did in their motion, it would be a little bit like you had a situation where Catalonia recognised as a part of Spain. You had the Russians in arming the Catalan police and army over the past year or two years, arming them, no one saying anything. And then the Chinese government coming out and recognising the Catalans. Now, do you think the EU would stand for that? That's exactly what the European Parliament did. They turned a blind eye to the fact that the Americans have been arming against international law on the territory of China, uh, the Taiwanese uh, defence forces, uh, and then came out and basically try to recognise them. Now, the gas thing is, is that the European Commission and the Council will probably say, 
steady on lads parliament do lally loopers there's no way the European Commission is going to jeopardise their relationship with China and our trade dealings with China by going along with that nonsense but the Irish media muppets who tweet and just regurgitate this nonsense without any critique at all my God what a little country we are Monster, you know you're off the fence <laughs> Andy Pandy like little crumbs no it makes me sick that these people prostitute themselves yeah. in the name of journalism when we've real journalists but, but you, like but you, Julian in Belmarsh and we've real journalists like Der Spiegel people in the parliament today and these gobshites come out with this nonsense and they don't even try and justify it because it's enough to be but, racist to get your article printed. But as, aside from the politicians uh, who obviously have done no research, they're probably too busy parish pumping, mm. uh, but they obviously they have no understanding of foreign affairs by, by, by the, listening to what the guff coming out of them. Uh, but likewise, unfortunately, the media don't seem to be doing any research. Mm. They don't actually seem to understand what's actually going on. And I mean, uh, it should be. I've been talking about the UN Charter, right? And the truth is that there's no other treaty in world history that has been as much of a consensus document as the UN Charter. And now it is effectively the only international constitution we have, and it's signed by 193 countries. And they are saying that Taiwan is part of China. I mean, I, I mean, it's never been so important that we defend it at all costs. And, and I mean, especially with, with the ratcheting up of tensions, uh, which could lead to war. And the so-called rules-based international order being trumpeted by the US and the EU, and it, I mean, has, it has no meaning, it has no basis in international law. It's where the US makes it up as it goes along and uh, just to justify and maintain their unipolar position in the world. I mean, it is just fucking nonsense. And I mean, uh, it, it, right now, uh, the US is doing everything in its power uh, to derail the UN Charter, even though it has nothing to offer the world but sanctions, aggression and the, and the law of the jungle. And, I mean, Taiwan should not be allowed to be used as a flashpoint in their efforts to uphold the crumbling grip on unipolar power. I mean, and, and for to listen to the people at home, actually uh, to row in 100% behind US imperialism at the risk of... Uh, creating a war situation at the risk of destabilizing uh, any, uh, a, a, a peaceful uh, situation in the region at the moment because there isn't any war there uh, at the moment that does involves China who are the second biggest power in the world at the moment but I mean uh, this rhetoric uh, is so nonsensical it's scary well I think that's that's the most interesting thing really because your piece dwelt with the um increased militarization of the of the region being led by the US and really what your argument was was a plea for peace because you weren't making any commentary on the status of Taiwan other than reflecting the reality that was there how in future Taiwan might be recognized is a matter for the people of Taiwan and the people of China it's certainly not a matter for the people of the feckin' European Union but in the same way as Catalonia as the Basque country as Kashmir as Kurdistan and all of these areas the position we put forward which we're being dumped on for is that these issues should be addressed by dialogue, engagement, mutual respect and understanding, not driven by the military-industrial complex and being puppets of them. And that is exactly 
what is being done at the moment. Well, and that's actually scary. But as a matter of interest, uh, did you know as much commentary uh, from the same people in Ireland when the AUKUS arrangement came up was, was uh, in the news a couple of weeks ago? Uh, AUKUS is Australia, UK, US. And uh, the, the French had their eye wiped. Uh, they were supposed to supply uh, diesel submarines uh, to Australia. And uh, the Americans and the Brits uh, were working behind the scenes and they arranged to do the deal with Australia for nuclear submarines instead. So I actually, at Foreign Affairs Committee this week, I asked the question to the uh, European External Action Forces fella because we were discussing um, China and Taiwan. Uh, and I asked him, I said, um, I said, the US and Europe, I said, are adamant that Iran cannot... Uh, upgrade their uranium by more than 3.67% under any condition. But I said, uh, you have, you, we now have a, a situation, I said, where Australia are going to be given nuclear submarines with bomb-grade uranium on the submarines. Bomb-grade. I said, is this not uh, a violation of the Non-Proliferation Treaty? I got no answer. That's the key thing. And there was a really good article by Insider, whoever he or she is. I think it's in the Galway Advertiser, a great piece on exactly the Aukhouse deal. And uh, they made the point that, like, you know, all the Western media was, oh, my God, French capitalism has been elbowed out of this wonderful contract. Oh, the diplomatic sort of nuances between the EU and the UK and the US. Oh, this is terrible. The French need to be compensated. But nobody talked about the bigger picture that actually this is allowing the Australians have nuclear weaponry in the South China Sea, destabilising the whole area. And I'd refer people to that. But again, it comes back to the point of the danger of the way in which these countries are being presented. Because we had a lot of people, I said the answers to your tweet, go, oh, ask the people of Taiwan there. At least they're in a democracy, you know. The people in China, many people in China are very happy with their government. I'm sure many people aren't. They're like Ireland. Do you know what I mean? But people leave our, uh, China and they go back to China. They're Chinese. They're happy with their country. This idea that there's somehow this pariah out there. And it reminded me the same thing with Russia, which the article deals with. And the, that article, and I, again, I would encourage people to read it. it. Kind of, It's an opinion piece. It's kind of satirical, but it turns things on its head that if Russia and China were doing what the Americans and the Australians and the UK were doing, how different the analysis would be. And it reminded me of my, my mother's hairdresser is a Russian. And like my mother was just saying recently that the hairdresser's parents live in Ireland as well and that they were going back to Russia for medical treatment because they couldn't possibly wait in Ireland to get the medical treatment that they get in Russia. And she was making the point that the demonisation of Russia and China and these countries in Europe is not akin to the reality that those people experience. And people should question what they read, I suppose. Yeah, and uh, probably a side issue, but uh, these submarines are going to cost a minimum of $60 billion. $60 billion that Australia is going to spend. Australia, uh, on the last figures I've seen, has 17% poverty yeah. in their country. A country that does so well in so many ways, but by uh, all accounts run in, in a very much of a right-wing manner and they seem to have no problem uh, living with 17% poverty and they're prepared to spend 60 billion 
on nuclear submarines that only threatened China. And uh, Europe's only problem was that the French had been elbowed out of the scheme. It makes you mm. sick. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I think it is important. Like, we don't cheerlead any country at all. All we're arguing for, actually, is international peace and to put a stop to the military-industrial-complex-driven agenda that's dominating our planet. And I think one of the really crucial thing is the speed at which this kind of rhetoric has developed and become normal, so that, as you were saying, in 2018 in the doll, yeah, you know, well, it, that was right. the mainstream. I mean, it, it's amazing how fast it yeah. has developed. But these yeah. Egypts probably forget about that. They yeah. don't know. They just go along with the flow. It becomes popular. All you need to say is China. And if you say the opposite, oh, my God, you, you yeah. want to violate human rights. Say, sorry, could you listen to what we actually said and have a rational debate here rather than mass hysteria? That's what's been generated. And yeah. that's why it's kind of said and to me, this is like, Hitler all over again it's mental and it can seem like far-fetched to be kind of talking about the potential of like military intervention in China but when you look at how quickly it's gone from one way of talking about uh, the point, world geopolitics yeah. to yeah. another totally yeah. totally so not, it's, not and so far-fetched it's very real yeah and um, people might find it amusing that uh, since we started here two and a half years ago there have been 19 or there have been nine uh, debates in the plenary on China, the role of an anti-China uh, nature, uh, nine resolutions uh, attacking China. There's been one that even questioned the fact that uh, people just get shot on the streets in America by their police. Uh, and there's only been one on Colombia and uh, where there's been more human rights workers killed uh, in Colombia in the last 12 months than in any other country in the world. But we're they're okay because uh, Duque is in a, one of our buys. Not to mind none on Israel, where Israel has now banned uh, six Palestinian NGOs, including two that are funded by the Irish government, <laughs> which is gas, because that gives them a real problem now. But it just shows how hysterical the Israelis are. But of course, we've had no uh, debate on that either. No, yeah. and, and there are... There, They've just announced plans for another three thousand uh, settlements, and uh, but uh, so that's all okay. seems to be okay. I think that's a topic for another week. Um, the new world disorder is ahead of us, but no, look at. I mean, we want to come back to Julian. We hope the judge ended the case on the basis that. The sides had given them a lot of food for thought, which I think they had. I think our feeling was what the, the defence seemed to do pretty well. The prosecution didn't come up with anything new, but you never know. Ultimately, this is a political battle. Joe Biden could end it tomorrow by dropping the pursuit of Julian, which started with Obama, continued with Trump and is continuing with him. And we even now put out that call, end this madness, let the man go uh, this is just um, a total attack on journalism. Well, I, I, I found it interesting yesterday afternoon. Um, the the prosecution, uh, Lewis was the American guy coming back in for the last half hour for his sum up and to challenge what the defence had said. Uh, Summers, Fitzgerald and Summers were the two um, senior counsels for the defence and Summers was up in the afternoon. He was far more impressive than Fitzgerald and uh, he, he, he left... Uh, the American prosecution uh, for dead, and in 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 the in the thirty minutes before the, pro the American prosecution were coming back in, I was watching 
his behaviour, right? He was losing the plot. <laughs> he was throwing folders around the place. He was fighting with his own staff around him. Give me this, give me that. What's going on here? What's going on there? Check this, check that, about what someone was saying. He was completely floundered. And he didn't even use up all his time in the end. He had so little to say in defence of the points that someone was making. I actually think that, uh, obviously this was an appeal uh, an appeal case uh, from mm. uh, on the part of the Americans against the judgment of the district judge mm-hmm. uh, in Balmash. I'd be very surprised if uh, the judge uh, this week will up- uphold the American appeal. Uh, I think that the Americans uh, came across with a very poor argument. Okay, I think they did, but I wouldn't be surprised by anything and I would strongly encourage everybody who has <laughs> been campaigning for Julian and the uptake in that to continue and actually redouble their efforts because the judgment isn't going to be out until December or January at the earliest, probably early in the new year. In the meantime, Julian spends many more months in there. He wasn't allowed to attend the court, so he wasn't physically there. Uh, he appeared briefly from Belmarsh on the video cam, but that was kind of against his wishes. He had wanted to be there physically. They wouldn't allow that. He didn't look well. Uh, he continues to be in prison. So the campaigning work goes on. And one point I would add to their Irish audience that his solicitor is Gareth Pierce, who was, of course, the famous solicitor in the Guildford Four and Birmingham Six Um hearings as well so hopefully she gets this result in their case but it took them a huge amount of lost years in jail before they were vindicated as well so but to, to add to the point that it is so important that more and more people engage with this issue is the fact that even if the judge comes down yeah. and doesn't accept the american appeal that will lead then to an appeal to the UK Supreme Court, most likely. Yeah. And after that, an appeal to the European Court of Human Rights. And the truth be told, I mean, when when Julian, uh, in, in, in the last court session, in, I was about 18 months ago now, mm. uh, where the judge refused to extradite him to America on the basis of the risk of, of suicide, he was left in prison. Most people, security, yeah. Most people are not. Most people are uh, not. Worst case scenario, a house arrest. A lot of people are allowed to go free while they're waiting for their appeal. He was put, he was left in prison. So if he's still left in prison after the next judgment, next judgment result, which will probably be December or January, uh, and then waiting for an appeal to the UK Supreme Court, maybe then waiting for an appeal to the uh, European Court of Human Rights. The fact is that Julian is there's a great risk that he's just going to die in prison because mm. they've been killing him slowly. Mm. Mm-hmm. We'll call it there. On that sad yeah. note, yes, we end. Arrivederci. Ciao, ciao. Ciao.